It made it no less beautiful. Note to self. So in many cultures, the very first question when meeting a stranger is often some version of, who are your people? Who are your ancestors? The question probes that inescapable network of mutuality, as Martin Luther King Jr. calls our living connectivity. You know, in France and in other European countries, a decent opening question is, where do you vacation? That makes sense, since most Europeans have a decent length of vacation, typically starting at a month. But Americans tend to define ourselves by our work. So a safe, common question is, so what do you do? Where do you work? We have to account for our time and productivity first. It's our primary identity embedded in a capitalist society. The Buddha had things to teach about working. As we jump back into the Eightfold Path, and remember, you can board at any point along the wheel of these eight teachings. We look today at wise or right livelihood. Three of the spokes on the wheel, wise speech, wise action, and wise livelihood, those three together make up the moral compass of ethical conduct, according to the Buddhist system. And those rules for ethical and moral conduct aim to promote a harmonious and happy life for both the individual and for all of society. This moral conduct and rules, they're considered indispensable, an indispensable foundation for any other, all other higher spiritual attainments. No spiritual development is possible without wise speech, wise livelihood. So when an American asks the question, what do you do? I somehow doubt the inquiry is about ethics or spiritual development, not about, so how is your livelihood helping you with your spiritual growth? But it's more about education and class. So going back more than 2,500 years, when the teachings of the Buddha were finally written down from their oral tradition. The settings that are depicted in the writings are often the Buddha is speaking to followers, to monks, and then later on to lay people like us, and we're termed householders. So wise livelihood is concerned with ensuring that householders can earn a living in a righteous way. For us householders, the teachings explain that wealth should be gained in accordance with certain standards. We, shouldn't, we should acquire it only by legal means, not illegally. These will all sound obvious, but often need to be said. 
We should acquire it peacefully without coercion or violence. We should acquire it honestly, not by trickery or deceit. That gets hard to parse these days. And most importantly, we should acquire it in ways which do not entail harm or suffering for others. There's one um, passage in, in the Buddhist text where all these ideas of what wise livelihood is, um, they're kind of summarized about what it means to earn and build a life as a householder. These are the four kinds of bliss that can be attained in the proper season, on the proper occasions, by a householder enjoying the pleasures of the senses, knowing the bliss of debtlessness, and recollecting the bliss of having, enjoying the bliss of wealth, seeing clearly, intelligently, one knows both sides, that wealth and having are not worth one sixteenth, sixteenth of the bliss of blamelessness. So when I hear these teachings about the bliss of debtlessness and the bliss of wealth, bliss, bliss of wealth, and of having material goods, boy, they sound like a perfect affirmation of our current unbalanced economic system. I say unbalanced because the disparities of suffering and the suffering of many innocents in this country. And I often wonder, so in our current society, can we truly understand how ancient philosophical and religious systems even apply today? But what catches my attention is that last line, that all wealth and goods, all that bliss, is not worth anything if you don't have the bliss of blamelessness. In other words, ultimately the true bliss of livelihood, being a householder, being a member of the society, is doing good and causing no harm. The Buddha is a list maker, you know. So he lists five specific kinds of livelihood which bring harm to others and should be avoided. Dealing in weapons, dealing in living beings, which includes raising animals for slaughter, as well as any slave trade or prostitution, in meat production and butchery, in poisons, and in intoxicants. So the text names dishonest means of gaining wealth, which fall under wrong livelihood if you practice deceit or treachery or soothsaying or trickery and usury. So any occupation that requires the violation of right speech, right action is wrong form of livelihood. But those other occupations, such as selling weapons or intoxicants, that's complicated. Our, our modern world is complex as we bump into the inescapable network of mutuality 
more and more as we can travel anywhere, see footage of any possible place on earth, plus our cosmos, be instantly connected by communications and social media? Can the Buddhist categories for right livelihood still hold, have any meaning in this increasingly fast-paced global society? Should I condemn my niece who works for ICE, U.S. Immigration and Customs Enforcement in Texas? Is her work dealing in living beings? Is it wrong or unwise livelihood? I believe we need official representatives of our government at our borders. Yet I find current scare tactics of naming all immigrants or asylum seekers as animals or criminals intent on killing us, and the current policies of separating families, children, and detention centers is unconscionable. It's evil. So I was just at a wedding in Texas and was with my niece. And I always ask her about her work in human relations with ICE. That's what she does. She vets the backgrounds of ICE agents. And she's proud of the work she does. And she frames it as ensuring that those who work for ICE are educated, trained, not criminal or brutal themselves. So she may indeed be reducing harm. The Buddha talks about not making loans. So are the bankers who are making loans in wrong livelihoods? What about village banking? Is it, is it harm to loan money to build up impoverished villagers, often women, so they can create a business, feed their children? Do these teachings ruin watching this wonderful life at Christmas time? Is George Bailey's savings and loan misguided? I'm clear, I'm very clear that about loans, that these ethics apply to the so-called payday loans with their exorbitant interest rates. They constitute a wrong livelihood. The statistics on payday loans in Oklahoma are grim. We take out more payday loans per capita than any other state. The average loan is for $394, with an average interest rate of 391%. (coughs) Excuse me. (coughs) The average borrower in Oklahoma takes out nine payday loans a year, with 87% getting a new loan in the same period as a previous loan. Yeah, wrongful livelihood. Some might declare being a minister is a despicable occupation. (laughs) While I aim to serve with both joy and integrity of how I make to myself each morning, I question what I'm doing 
And I'm really critical of some philosophies and tactics of other clergy. For example, the preachers of a prosperity gospel may, may sound in line with bliss of having and bliss of wealth, but I find it a practice of wrong livelihood with a theology of name it and claim it and blab it and grab it. <laughs> it enriches one person with false promises. Also, I critique any clergy who proclaim to have the only truth. Our Unitarian Universalist commitment to questions and doubt is necessary to a spiritual path. And it mirrors what the Buddhist taught. It is recorded he stops, at, the Buddha stops at villages in India near the border of Nepal, and the inhabitants of the village are called Kalamas. And here's what the Buddha says to the Kalamas. Now, Kalamas don't go by reports, by legends, by traditions, by scripture, by logical conjecture, by inference, by analogies, by agreement through pondering views, by probability or by thought. This is your contemplative, this contemplative is your teacher. When you know for yourselves that these qualities are skillful, these qualities are blameless. These qualities are praised by the wise. These teachings, when adopted and carried out, lead to welfare and to happiness. Then, and only then, you should enter and remain in them. We are commanded to ask questions and doubt and not accept blindly any religious teaching, any religious teaching. So because all of these eight steps along the Eightfold Path are entwined with all the others, how each of us performs our work matters in right livelihood. It may be less about your career or place of work and more about your intentions. It's more about how you approach the tasks at hand and the people with whom you interact. Our intentions matter, always. In the first reading that Janet read, I'm always stunned. No, Janet didn't read it. Ada, Ada read it. I'm always stunned, always stunned by the statement that that Buddhist nun, Sister Khan, makes to Sherry Maples. Who else would we want to carry a gun except someone who could do it mindfully? What I understand in that statement is that no work is pure or perfect. Even the seemingly selfish, charitable work of Mother Teresa reportedly caused harm. Investigations into her order's financial dealings and quality of medical care, and even her intent on the deathbed of certain religious conversions cast serious doubts on her motivations. What matters in wise livelihood is following the whole eightfold path, the whole moral compass that you are working with, bringing your whole self and your connections to that inescapable network of mutualities. Our jobs are to become awake at work and everywhere else. So no matter if you're working full-time, part-time, 
retired, disabled, you work. Your livelihood is progressing through every single day with purpose. Wise livelihood is viewing each moment of your life as the work of being a decent human being. Even play can be work. Playing fairly, playing joyfully, washing dishes is work, tending a baby is work, driving errands is work, waiting is work, being sick is work. For all of our work to allow us to be fully human and be a wise livelihood, we should consider this last teaching. Should a person do good, let him do it again and again. Let her find pleasure therein, for blissful is the accumulation of good. May we all work well and for the good of ourselves and all beings. May it be so.